Hello and welcome everybody to the Life Church Canton podcast. My name is Jared Van Vorst and I'm your host for the show and one of the pastors at Life Church. And I'm excited to bring to you this episode uh, where three teaching pastors, me and Pastor Nathan, Pastor Daniel, all were on stage together. Uh, this took place after the election. And uh, we just got together and uh, had taken some questions that were already submitted to us beforehand. Uh, just about politics in general, politics and faith. Uh, we had written a position paper, which you can find on our uh, our beliefs section of our website, and um, and just talk through some of the the questions that people had had. And it was a really good conversation. And at the at the end, this is kind of a little bonus, I guess. Um, we included a song called "Prayers of the People" or "Prayers for the People." And uh, included some of our specific pastoral prayers for, for our church, for our community, for our nation. Um, and so that's in the end uh, of the, I guess, sermon, you could call it. Uh, but also, I want to encourage you to subscribe to this podcast if you haven't done so already. As well as uh, give if you would like to contribute to the work that we get to be a part of. Uh, because it makes a difference. It makes an impact in the lives of real people. And uh, it moves us towards justice. It moves us toward discipleship. And uh, this is what the church of the future and the kingdom of God is all about and what we are commanded to do. So I hope you enjoy this uh, sort of unique sermon and uh, have a great rest of your day. Thank you for being here and joining us. My name is Nathan, and uh, to my left is Pastor Daniel, and we are feeding back pretty crazy. (laughs) Uh, My left, your right, is Pastor Daniel, and to my right, your left, is Pastor Jared. And I am excited that you guys are here. I'm excited for what comes next. And you're probably asking yourself the question, um, what are we doing here? Uh, If you've not been paying attention or not been here for a couple weeks, we are having a a conversation together about what God is doing in the midst of his church around this very difficult election. And so I thought uh, no better way to do that than to have more of a conversation. It's easy sometimes to preach. It's easy sometimes to uh, have a one-way conversation. But when you have a dialogue, I think you can talk about more difficult subjects in a way that's easy to understand. So we thought, hey, let's get some chairs out. Let's spend some time together. If you're online, uh, I encourage you, you can ask questions. We'll try to get to them later, not today, because people have been um, kind of giving questions to us this entire time. So I welcome you to engage, have open ears and an open heart as we continue to point towards Jesus. So I'm going to join these fine men uh, at the table. So how how you doing today? Yeah, oh, yeah. He didn't hear what he just said because his mic was on, but he said I was fine. I'm a fine too. So as we work on our mics, uh, Jared, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing okay. Uh, before we got started, I, apparently I was looking very uh, Fred Rogers-esque, Mr. Rogers, uh, with, the, yeah. with the cardigan, and I just needed to <laughs> tie my shoes. Won't you be my neighbor? Uh, welcome, everybody. Good to see you. Hope you're doing well. Welcome to anybody who's watching online. We're glad you're joining us as well. And at any moment, if you have comments, prayers, questions, like Nathan said, please feel free to share those. But I'm going to get right to it. So we did um, put out a, an opportunity for people to ask questions ahead of time. And guys, we talked yesterday, and there were some really, really good questions that people um, put a lot of thought into uh, with lots of background and context to it, uh, which we can't fully share because we want to be sensitive to the time. But 
uh, we were able to nail, nail down at least some specific themes, so we're going to try to get to all of those. But the first one, uh, Nathan, I'm going to direct to you, and then we'll have some conversation about it. Yeah. Uh, but last Sunday, if you heard the message that Nathan gave um, was specifically on politics, you unpacked our position paper, specifically the three themes of peace, justice, and joy. But in it, you said uh, this quote, America looks more like Babylon than God's kingdom. What did you mean by that? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. I, I was able to unpack just a hair, but of course, talking about politics, there's not a lot of time. And what I meant by that is Babylon was a place, um, but it was also kind of a concept and an idea. And Babylon was a, a country, a group of people that wasn't in line with what God had. So they did incredibly uh, sinful things. There were idols everywhere, gods mm -hmm. everywhere. And, and it was this place that what it produced was unrighteousness, um, death, destruction, and harm mm. to the point where they would, you know, it, it was a danger for God's people to interact with them. And so when I look at America and I see what we are producing, uh, it, especially in the election, and what we're founded on, which we'll talk a little more about that, I see something that's not at the least submitted to God's love and kindness. We, we do not treat each other with righteousness, and we not treat each other with love. And, and there's a lot of biblical context to that. Um, but in the context of what we were talking about on Sunday, I was saying, even so, even so, God has been clear about our call as Christians that we don't get to just like say, okay, this place is terrible. Let's just check out. Mm -hmm. No, in fact, he calls us in Jeremiah 29 um, and all over in scripture to this idea of living for the welfare of the city. And as I thought about it, specifically the Israelites, they were um, sent to live in Babylon, this place that surrounded them. Every time the Israelites were surrounded by people of a different nation, they fell really hard. And yet God is sending them out saying, I have a plan for you and for your generations. Go live for the welfare of the city. And to be surrounded by a group of people who don't think anything like you, to marry them, to have businesses with them, to have that, to hold on to who you are in the midst of that is incredibly difficult. Mm -hmm. And for us as Christians, that's what we're trying to do. Mm -hmm. In the midst of this incredibly difficult area, we're trying to hold on to it. Um, I then said just peace, justice, and joy, talked about peace comes when we realign our reliance away from our circumstances, away from the government, and focus it on Christ, our true provider and king. And then I, I hope to bring joy and, and, and justice along with that as we learn how to live in an area that isn't submitted to God and yet still fight for it to look more and more and more like God's kingdom through the church and through every action that we have. And that, of course, impacts our voting, which is not an easy thing to do. Right. Hmm. Yeah, no, I think, um, so I, I, I think along with that, Babylon is uh, a symbol for the epitome of human yep. power uh, devoid of God. And so to a, to a certain extent, every government is Babylon. And we are called to live in it, but not be of it. And that, that is what I hear you sort of striking that balance, which is not easy to do, right? Because we're inundated with everything. Um, and I think it's important for us to continue to think from that other kingdom perspective. So yeah, I'm, I'm right along with you. Yeah. I think uh, what I hear some people get nervous about is um, this feeling of wanting to put America or uh, American citizenship into the place of the story of Israel and f identify with them. Mm. Um, 
and and so that so then when we see ourselves being identified with sort of an oppressive <laughs> uh, empire, whether it be Babylon, Assyria, Rome, any other empire that we see, then we're no longer the hero of the story. And I think we as Americans, um, or that at least that have grown up in America, have identified with the story of being the hero. We want to be the hero of the story. And I think that's where maybe people get a little bit nervous if you were to say something like, America's more like Babylon, than, than the alternative, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that's been maybe challenging for some people and in and, and, and a good way, right? Like that, that has, to, has to hit with my heart and my soul a little bit to recognize like, where do I put myself in the story of God's story? So, yeah. I think that the hopeful thing is, is um, all over in Scripture, we do. We, we like to be the hero, yeah. not the person who is struggling. But what we've seen yeah. over and over and over again is yeah. God actually chooses the people who struggle yeah. to do incredible things. So right. there's hope in that right. in the midst of it. And I think there is fear that's yeah. attached with this. Like, or or um, we want to defend America. America doesn't need to be defended uh, in, in regards to um, the way God views it. God views it the way he views it. Like, yeah. we don't need to defend America. We need to defend Jesus Christ. Yeah. And the subtlety of doing that is very difficult because what I don't want to say is come out here and, and say America's a bad place. That's not what I mean. It's a human place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a human place has brokenness. You know, I, I have um, I served in the military. I have friends who have died for this country. Mm-hmm. I value this country. Yeah. I do. But I only value it as far as a human thing, a human-created government can be valued, whereas what I value more is the kingdom of God. And frankly, most of the time, I have to fight to not be... Uh, dominated by this human kingdom because it ta- I, I keep thinking of, of America and where we're at and how that affects me and it takes away from my understanding that I serve Jesus Christ and, and that he's in control. And, you know, Jesus says over and over and over again, if they oppress me, hmm. they will oppress you. Like, it's, to, I get nervous when I have every religious liberty in the world. I do, mm. because I'm concerned um, in some part that, I, now, I don't go seek out persecution in any way, but I, it's something that I, that I process through. Yeah, I, w- I would say, in, in addition to that, um, sort of the other side of the dialectic is there are some who hear America as Babylon, and it hits in the heart because their identity is so tied to America. But then there's others who they hear that and they're like, yeah, right on. That's, that's how I felt. So I think the sensitivity towards understanding that we have all not had the same American experience. Uh, and that's true for any country, all right? So there are people in Nigeria now, you guys are probably reading the news and seeing what's happening in Nigeria, which is close to home for me because I'm Nigerian. For, for many people who have been in power for so long, for them, this is destabilizing. This is, this is like protesting in our streets and, and people are demanding the government to do right things. Uh, it's like, no, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with that. And then for others who've not been in power, who've never known the taste of freedom in Nigeria, they're like, right on, about time someone speaks for us, about time that the world takes note and see that justice needs to be done here and equity needs to be served. So I think even when we say that, there is a demographic of us who have said, no, for me, hundreds of years, I have felt oppressed by the American system. 
And so when you say that, it resonates with me, not just from a biblical perspective, because it's biblically true, but from a personal experiential perspective, I have felt imposed upon. You can have that conversation with our native Indians. You can have our conversation with anybody else that's felt oppressed by the system. So I think that's why we also have to know that in our allegiance to a certain human government, we are also aligning ourselves against other people. And that might be helpful to help us uh, sympathize and empathize with our brothers. Mm, that's good. Uh, the second question, how do we deal with the emotions and hurt we are experiencing during and after this election process? Yeah, um, I think that's, that's my question, right? I, I yes, think, it is. I think it for is. me, I think... Um, we, can, uh, we can get another mic for Daniel if that helps not have to if, deal with yeah, the feedback. That that's totally, if we want to run a handheld mic out, that'd be I great. I will do a handheld. I, I, just, I, just, I, I love the way that you mics. sound, and there's a, there's a beautiful resonance to your voice, but it, you know, it, not the same resonance we're experiencing right now. <laughs> Everyone's thinking about it. I'm not going to acknowledge it. Here no, I appreciate you. Um, yeah. Okay, sweet. Uh, no, I think... Um, so when I, when I thought about this question, the first thing that came to mind is Proverbs 4.23, which says, you know, above all things, guard your heart, um, because out of it flows the issues of life. And so... Hello. Okay, yeah. Thank you. Number one. Number one. I'm going to give you my mic in about five, four, three, two, one. one. Okay. Yeah, hello. Okay. So that, that was the first scripture that came to mind. And the reason that is is because, and we can all agree, you know, or sort of uh, understand this is, if you are disappointed in something, it means then that you had expectations that were not met. That's fair, right? So if you're in a relationship and that relationship disappoints you, it's because you had expectations. Now, that doesn't mean those expectations are right. It just means you had expectations. And sometimes we have expectations of people and systems that those systems were never intended to give us. And so this is disappointment and disillusionment happens. And so the first thing that I'm concerned about is there are at least, at the very least, three different people right now. Uh, some who are saying, my world is destabilized right now. I feel like what I thought should happen is not happening. In fact, some could even take that higher and say, I felt like what God intended to happen didn't happen, which, which then begs the question of what your view of God is and how he's sovereign. Because God is sovereign whether there's a Democrat or a Republican in office. That's, that's just facts. Yeah. Um, amen, right? That should be a resounding amen for all of our <laughs> God's people. Um, and so, so then the question I'm asking is, what work did we do to guard our hearts mm -hmm. in, before this process, yeah. right? And, and, and you and I, have, you, all three of us have had this conversation. When I hear people destabilized by government reigns or lack thereof, the question is, how have I failed you as a pastor? Mm. Who's failed you in your discipleship process that you've put all your eggs in the basket of humanity yeah. and you've just kind of put God on the side as some aspect of humanity, maybe a deistic or a deistic view of who God is, that he's not involved or he's far away, or maybe God is impotent. 
right? I, I remember, you know, Elijah, when he was doing the, the sacrifices, and he makes a joke. He says, perhaps your God has turned aside. Literally in Hebrew, that means, did your God go to the bathroom, yeah. <laughs> right? So maybe your God's busy in the bathroom. He's in the john, and he wasn't able to help you at the right time. And if that's your God, and he's limited. But if your view of God is that God is sovereign, and that God, because keep in mind, the same God who chose Israel also chose Babylon to discipline Israel. Mm -hmm. That's important. So God didn't stop being sovereign because Israel went into exile. So, so all that being said, that's sort of the backdrop. As I hear, how do we handle our emotions? If you're apathetic to what's going on, you've checked out, you're like, I'm done. I never believed in the system anyway. I have conversations and concerns about that. If you are elated and excited that what's happening right now, your guy got in, I have concerns about that. If you are dejected that your guy didn't get in, I have concerns about that. Because that lets me know that your emotions are more ran by people than God. Yeah. And so that's what I would say is check your heart. Uh, because perhaps, and maybe stronger than perhaps, it seems that those things or whoever's in office is your idol. You talked about this last week, right, about idol worship. I think it's, it's tempting to say idols are calves and goats and, and these other things. But whether your idol is a donkey or an elephant, it's an idol. You might have to use that microphone if you're ready. Okay. Yeah, I, I, think, I, I think what you said, view of God is important. And then in, in a sense, this goes back to the first question too, view of ourselves is also important. So if I continually to view myself as the hero of the story or view my nation as the hero of the story, and I also have a maybe distorted view of God, then my, and my expectations aren't met, uh, I'm gonna be really in a frenzy. And you just said, guard your heart and mind, right? And that's, that was the sermon before Nathan's sermon um, last week. So two weeks ago, we talked about this idea of anxiety and worry, and we guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Um, and our, it's our heart and mind that have to be guarded, not necessarily our body, because our mind and our heart have to be uh, in a healthy disposition to be ready to, um, for, for whatever comes next. You use that phrase a lot, Nathan. And, and Jesus even says, in this world, you will have trouble. Not you might. Not it, it could maybe possibly happen. You will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. He's saying that to a group of people who are the oppressed. And so, um, again, we have to align ourselves with the context of the greater story and, and try to identify with that context first before putting ourselves in the position of the hero yeah. uh, and then have a right understanding of God. I think yeah. couldn't agree more. I, I, I love that. I love that we have to reframe the way we think, but do you guys recognize the gift it is of your emotions? Yeah. The emotions you're feeling, if you're feeling it, you could be hearing what we're saying is if you're dejected, if you're elated, you are wrong. No, no, no. That's not what we're saying at all. It's an invitation. It's an invitation to go to God and say, this is how I'm feeling, and I'm realizing that maybe I put my trust in other things. And then you get to go to God, and God, who is rich in mercy and grace, but also is a personal God and knows you and can handle it, will meet you where you're at. So if you're feeling any kind of way, it's an opportunity 
to not then get mad at your own feelings, but to see them for what they are, an indication of what is in your heart, and then go to God, and He can transform you. We started this, I said this a couple times, but I think it bears repeating. At the beginning of the year, we did a series called 2020 Vision. This was in January. <laughs> I can see clearly now the plague is gone. No, like, like, I don't know why that came into my head. Um, this is why I'm, not, yeah, yeah. But we had no idea. The idea was we're going to spend this year in prayer and discipleship and working on diversity and racial. And, and, and to, be, to be fair, those three things came true, no. just not the way we thought. <laughs> but everyone was like, see, it's so unclear. We don't know what's going on. 2020 is just going to be a crazy year. It's so, no, no, no. We had 2020 vision. We saw exactly what was actually happening in our community, what was actually happening in our own hearts. It was a, this is a gift. This is a gift if we choose to see it that way. It still means it's hard. It still means people have died and that things are difficult. That's not it. But it's a gift to look at the church and to look at our hearts. And instead of feeling bad about the state that we are in, rejoice that we have seen it for what it is. And now we can follow God with our whole heart and our whole mind. And you know what's on the other end of that? And I'm going to go back into my sermon. I've got to stop. Calm down. It's peace and joy yeah. and justice. Yeah. That's the other end of this. Do not try to survive COVID. Hmm. That's not what God wants. He wants us to, you know, he doesn't want us to have pain. But what I mean is don't just wait it out. Dive in and see how this refinement fire can produce a gold that's worth the world looking at. So it's, it's an invitation. Um, so I think, f- show of hands who've heard the verse, I can do all things through Christ Jesus. I tend to only hear that verse evoked when you're about to go, I don't know, buy a house. Um, I don't know. He, score a touchdown. You, you love her, you love her not, you want her to marry you. I can do all things through Christ <laughs> Listen to the context by which Paul uses that. Philippians 4, 12 and 13. I know how to get along in humble means, and I also know how to get along in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and of suffering. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Here's what Paul is saying. I can be content in any circumstances because Christ is with me, giving me the ability and the strength not to avoid the circumstance, but to go through Mm. the circumstance. So, Christian, you can do anything, including be okay with who's in the White House, because your kingdom is beyond this world. And you can do anything through Christ who strengthens you through yep. every circumstance. Yeah. I want to make sure I heard you correctly, Daniel. Did you say uh, beyond this world? Is that the word? Yeah, beyond this world, um, transcendent above this world, right? Like, I love that. Altogether different. Yes, thank you. Uh, which is, I think, a perfect segue into this next question. Um, and we've, we've used this term before, the third way. Uh, this person asked the question, I can't, there, there's like a whole paragraph of really, really good thoughts, but I want to distill it down to the question that this person asked. What does the third way, or essentially Christ's way, look like in our current political reality? So if you've heard us say that before, 
uh, whether you're in the room or watching online, uh, there's, a, there's a third way. And what we don't mean is third party. That's not what we're talking about. It's not as though um, there's Democrat, Republican, and then there's a third party, and that's the Christ party or the Christian party. That's, that's not what we're talking about. The third way is the way of Jesus that is over and above, beyond, transcendent to the way of the world. So you can have Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, Green Party, um, Birthday Party, Kanye West. Kanye West. Yeah. What, what's the name of his party? Birthday Party. Oh, great. Yeah. Cool. It's stranger than fiction. You can, <laughs> yes. Uh, you can have all of those things, and, and it's not one of those is going to be the, the more Christian answer. It's no, the, the Christian answer is Christ, the, the one that's over and above. He's the third way. But really, what we mean is he's the only way. He's the best way. Um, and so the, the, um, the question is, what does the third way or Christ's way look like in our current political reality? In order to talk about current, I want to go back and talk about context. So um, this idea of the third way was actually in one of the blogs that we have uh, way back where we talked about the third way. You can go back and, and look at the blog and, and read that. But in it, um, we posted a link to a guy who's done a lot of work on this third way thinking. His name's Walter Wink which I think is a wonderful name. Uh, but he, he talks about um, specific spots in Scripture where Jesus provides a third way. Again, he's talking to people. Jesus is talking to people who have uh, experienced oppression by the Roman Empire. And one of the phrases Jesus uses is, turn the other cheek. And I'm just going to read what uh, Walter Wink writes. He says, if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. That's from Matthew chapter 5, verse 39 says, to hit the right cheek with a fist would require the left hand. So you have to kind of visualize that, right? But the left hand could only be used for unclean tasks. I'll let you use your creative license in your own minds for that. Unclean tasks. So if you did that, there was penalty associated with using your left hand for such a thing. Now, the back hand would have to be used uh, instead to, to strike somebody on their cheek. Uh, the backhand was not a blow to injure, but to insult, to humiliate, and to degrade. For instance, masters backhanded slaves, husbands backhanded wives, parents children, Romans Jews, slap with the backhand. It was a degrading thing. Uh, it was to force someone who was out of line back into place. These are people used to being degraded. This is the context. By turning the cheek, Jesus' uh, call to action, the servant or the wife or the child or the Jew to the Roman, the servant makes it impossible for the master to use the backhand again because you've turned the cheek. In other words, it didn't work. It didn't do what it was intended to do, which is to humiliate and to degrade. The left cheek now offers a perfect target for a blow with the right fist, but only equals fought with fists. By turning the cheek, the inferior is saying, I'm a human being just like you. I refuse to be humiliated any longer. I am your equal. I am a child of God. I won't take it anymore. So there's this idea with the third way that could somehow insinuate that the way of Jesus is just to simply be passive and to let yourself just get beat up. And essentially Christ does do that on the cross, but there's a statement associated with that. It's, it's not in the sense of humiliation because what happens three days later as Christ rises from the dead, which is the ultimate, the joke's on you. 
<laughs> your system of death didn't work. Your system of degradation and dehumanization didn't work. We still win. But it's the Christ way. It's over and above. And so the, way, the third way of Christ, I think, in this current political situation is not to gloat if your guy won. Um, if your guy didn't win, it's not to be passive and take all of the blows. It's, in a sense, to become humble, to enter into conversation with each other, to listen to one another, to love one another. That's the foundational principle of what it means to be a Christ follower, is to love your neighbor as yourself, right? To love your enemies, to pray for those who persecute you. That's the ultimate resistance to the degradation and the humiliation that could potentially take place. Now, that's really hard because suffering might still happen. And so I think in conversations uh, in the current context, we have to listen to one another. But we also have to identify with some people who feel pain, discomfort, who are going through some really uh, hard times right now because of whatever it is that they feel because of the outcome. And so it takes humiliation, or it takes uh, humility to enter into that. And so uh, if, we, if we take part in the degradation, though, we miss the point. The third way is to point to Jesus, to tune ourselves to Christ. We're going to talk a little bit more about what that looks like in everyday relationships toward the end, but any thoughts that you guys would add to that? Yeah, I, I love the, um, the idea of turning your cheeks so you can't be treated but even in then, it's still there's a power relationship going right. on. So, okay, you want to exert power over me. I'm going to do it in a way where you have to acknowledge me as a human. Mm -hmm. uh, how beautifully subversive. Yeah. And how, how amazing. And I, I think the things that inspire me most about making justice happen in this world is the ones that elevate that every human uh, is made in the image of God. And, and in the message, I talked about um, tzedaka, which is righteousness, and the idea of uh, treating someone as if they are made in the image of God. And that's the call for us is to do that over and over and over again. Uh, one thing I will say, and then I'll let Daniel take it because I think he's got some incredible um, pieces, is that uh, what I said in the message and what I think is true is when we try to make a third way in the context of our current system, we will just make another group of people yeah. who will not fulfill what God wants. It'll just be another cog in the wheel. And those people will then subvert and use uh, the people of God for their own game. Mm. Um, so stop playing their game. Play a different game. Yeah. And, see, and there's freedom in that, and there's joy in that. And then there's this beautiful, subversive transformation, which I just saw all over in the, the civil rights movement, but we don't have time for, to talk mm -hmm. about that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I really don't have much to add except the fact uh, that um, I think the current um, scenario that is trending right now politically might allow my words to land better than if it was different. And, and what I mean by that is my sort of clarion call, my call to whoever is finding themselves in a position where they feel better about what's happening right now than before is to, um, is to use this as a great opportunity to reach out mm -hmm. um, to those who are hurting. Because I think the risk sometimes we have when we talk about justice is that people assume, one, because of my pigment, that I'm a certain political affiliation. 
and people assume because of your words that you are a certain political affiliation. And so all through the years, we have been calling for people who have felt empowered by the current system then to reach out. And for those people, it might have felt not so caring. You might have felt like we're telling you to lose your identity. Now watch us now say to those people who currently feel empowered to say, no, you need to reach out and care. You see, because our stands, as flawed as we are as human, our intention is to be sound on God's word, which means then that churches and pastors don't speak for the sake of one party or the other. Should not. Should be able to cut it through that regardless of who is in office, we ought to speak truth to power. In fact, if you know American history, the separation of church and state was for the benefit of the church, not for the benefit of the state. Because the state was encroaching too much into church affairs and making the church a political atmosphere. Wonder what's happening now. <laughs> and so in an attempt to protect the integrity of the church, there is a discussion that we need to separate politics from Christianity. So again, the same rhetoric that I and us shared months ago, even years ago now, uh, of, man, because your party is sort of empowered right now, don't use it as a way to lord over people, but use it as a way to care for people and also understand that that's not your party. Your party is Christ. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's the same thing I'm saying now. That if you feel some relief because of what's happening right now, okay, bless God that you feel some relief. And I'm glad you're no longer feeling disenfranchised. But also realize that you are in the same jeopardy of putting your pledge of allegiance in humans and in governments rather than in God. And so as such, I am calling every Christian to, we are calling every Christian, to divorce yourself from any pledge of allegiance to any government or any president and rest in the fact that Christ and Christ alone is Lord. Yeah. That's the third way. Yeah. The kingdom of Christ, which is here and still yet to come. And I think also when we talk about the reign of Christ, the Bible uses reign in at least two different ways. One is the sort of physical realm of ruling. The other is the reign of Christ, as in God is always reigning. The issue is, is he reigning in your life? Or is the current political system reigning in your life? And that's what I would say. For me, the third way, I agree with you 100%, is that people hear, like, what, I don't know, a red party because it's blood of Jesus. I don't know, like a red <laughs> Christian political party. I don't know. I don't know what it is. And you said birthday party for con. That's really yeah. weird. Uh, sorry. Um, uh, no, not sorry. Um, but it's Christ over culture. Yeah. And it's Christ over everything else. And I know we're, we're in a place where we, we can joke about certain things, but we, and it's not exclusive of you guys too, because we're all together. We're all one. Everyone in here has experienced the last four years together. And it has shown us how fickle this world is. Hmm. Whether it's COVID, whether it's politics, we have learned more than ever that we're not as united as we think we are. And so if you forget that, 
going into the next four years for any reason, we've been lulled again to sleep. Mm. And we're now the sleeping church rather than the triumphant militant church of Christ. You can add to that? I'm not. Okay. We have a, a few minutes left, so cool. we want to make sure we cover the next two. Excellent. Next question is, what role should a disciple of Christ have who is or wants to be involved in politics? Yeah, I, I, I think that there is a noble thing to do. I think there are very few um, who are able to not get sucked into the political machinations that are built on divisiveness, lying, and manipulation. Um, but I believe that it's possible. I believe that it's noble and that there are those called to do that. We see that in Scripture over and over again, people called to government positions. So, and, and Daniel, over, and Daniel, oh my gosh, Daniel, uh, jo uh, Joseph, like it just, it's over and over. So we want to be clear. I believe that there are those who are politicians for both parties and other parties who can pursue righteousness in God and that their profession and what they're trying to go after is, pr is probably one of the most difficult things to do to hold fast to who God is and that they should uh, surround themselves with people who will tell them that they are wrong. And it is a difficult thing to do. I pray to the Lord Jesus Christ that that calling does not fall on myself or anyone else in it. But um, I believe in it, and I believe, and, and I'll, we have to move on. I believe that it personally, that as a citizen of the kingdom of God, as a subject, as a much better word, God has called me to live for the welfare of my city. Yeah. And because my city and my government, human though it is, has given me the ability to vote and to pursue what we, I feel is right for, for everyone, which is guided by the Bible, I do personally have an obligation to live into that. And so, of course, then, I would say those who want to be in government and politics to be uh, wise as serpents and gentle as doves and surround themselves with, with godly people who they will let um, smack them in the face, I guess, <laughs> when they're being bad. And that goes for us as pastors yeah. as well. Very similar. That's good. Uh, last question? Yeah. Okay. Let's do it. Uh, how do we promote shalom, which is a carryover from, from your message last week, Nathan, as well as from the position paper? How do we promote shalom with those that have different views than us? especially family. Does anybody have any family members that disagree with your political views? And uh, you can raise your hand if you're watching online as well if you want to. I don't. I don't have that. We all agree exactly 100%. <laughs> but for the sake of the question, um, I'll share my thoughts. I think um, this goes back to, and I don't mean to sound like a broken record, but um, tuning ourselves to Christ. So two weeks ago, we gave a message um, from Philippians on that disagreement that Yodia and Suntiki were having. Um, we don't know the nature of the disagreement, but Paul urges them toward harmony in Christ, right? And, and you have to sort of tune yourself to Christ, to the standard of Christ, not to your own preferences, but to Christ. And so anytime we let our own preferences or political ideologies get out of head of um, of where Christ is calling us, um, then we have, to, we have to retune that string, so to speak, to use the metaphor of the guitar. Uh, we have to get back in alignment with Christ in order to get back in alignment with our human relationship. And I think that's so key, and that requires also, once again, humility. Uh, it requires recognizing, like, I might be wrong here. 
I, I might not have the full picture here. I might not fully understand this person's perspective or where they're coming from or understand their pain or even that they are experiencing pain right now. And so instead of trying to find all of the reasons why they shouldn't feel pain or why their history or their understanding of history is wrong, the fact is that somebody's feeling pain uh, because of the disagreement, because uh, their party lost, because their person lost, because whatever. And so we have to step into that pain and identify with them, but we're doing that because we have first identified with who Christ is and his character and his attitude that he calls us to. We have the same attitude as Christ Jesus who considered others better than himself, right? Uh, or that's what he calls us to do, consider others better than yourselves. So I think that's important to, to pursue harmony, as Paul says to the Philippians. Um, I do think, though, that there, um, it's become clear that several relationships have, have turned to the point of destruction, maybe where it's beyond repair. And, and that's really unfortunate, um, and that's a reality. And so I think it would behoove us to ask God's Spirit um, for guidance in boundaries. Do you guys agree with that? I think there's, there, there is a sense of, you have to agree with me, right? Because <laughs> we work together. No. Um, I, I think that it requires wisdom to understand where a potential relationship is beyond repair um, and to say, I, I, may, I may need to put up some healthy boundaries here. And that's okay. Uh, I, would, I would urge you to try everything in your power to pursue redemption in the relationship, to pursue healing, to, to try to get into alignment with Christ, both of you, to tune to that standard. And sometimes um, that, that can be hard. And, and it might be wise to just put up some boundaries. But I'll leave it at that. Anything you would add? Yeah, no, I, I would say, um, so those are practical steps. I think principally, yeah, principally, yeah. Um, principally, I would say from a principal perspective, the Imago Dei, the image mm -hmm. of God, that everybody is made in God's image. That has two aspects that I'd love to just tease out quickly. That means then that there is an inherent sense of dignity in every mm -hmm. human being. And therefore, they are worthy of our respect and our dignity in how we engage them. The other side of that is that we have fallen from that image. It's not completely gone. It's marred. Look at Genesis uh, chapter 1, Genesis chapter 6 clarifies that. Which then means that while inherently everybody is worthy of dignity, it also means inherently everyone needs our grace. Mm. Because a funny thing happens when you exclude everyone else from grace except yourself. Yeah where everyone deserves the benefit of the doubt except yourself. And so I would say from a principal perspective, let that be the guidance. Let you see the simultaneous nature of our humanity in Christ, that we are worthy of dignity because God has intrinsically placed it in us. And then secondly, we are worthy of grace and care and love and the benefit of the doubt because we have all, including us, fallen from that grace. Amen. As we finish our time, uh, we're going to go into a moment of prayer uh, and worship. And I invite you to be a part of that, to observe it, to let it change you, um, and, and hopefully bring this to a close in your heart. We're always excited to have more conversations with you about this, especially about anything um, we may have been unclear on. But every time we get together, 
we give a defense for the hope that we have found, the grace that we have found, and it serves two purposes. One, primary, relentless pursuit of one more. We believe online and in person. You may have tuned in just to see what the church was going to say about politics because you like pain, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> and, I, and I hope that you were surprised. Um, I hope that something has changed in, inside of you in, in, in a good way. And, and I want to give you a hope the hope we have is in Jesus Christ, that we do have a king that's above all of this, but that he has declared us righteous. He has declared us the image of God, and he then died for us so that we could have right relationships, so that we can have healing, so that through Christ we can have unity. So as David comes out and begins to play and we move into this, this section of time where we worship God and we let him change us, I want you to have a relationship with him. I want you to have an opportunity to know him. And so I, I, as we stand together um, and prepare for what God wants to do in our hearts, I want to read to you Isaiah 9, Isaiah 9, that says this, For us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And he is accomplishing it through his son, Jesus Christ. I want to give you an opportunity to know him, to follow him, to allow him to change you and to give you peace, to give you joy and to help you pursue justice in the world that we live in today. So if you could, would you close your eyes? Would you focus your heart? Would you allow God to speak to you? For those who want to follow God and for those who need to be reminded who's on the throne, I'd ask you to pray this prayer in your heart to talk to God who's in the room, who wants to have a relationship with you again, and who gave up his son to do that. And you can acknowledge your need for him. You can ask him to lead you, and then you can commit to following him. And that's what we're going to do in this moment. You can pray it out loud or in your heart. Make it your own. Say something along these lines. God, I am broken. God, I need someone to rescue me from the things that I have done, from the things that have been done to me. I know I have no way to God unless someone rescues me, restores me, makes me whole. Jesus came to restore me. He came to give me life. And he did that by paying for my sins and dying on the cross. If it had stayed there, it'd be one thing. But then Jesus beat death forever and rose again. He offers it to me today. So I receive it. I receive it. I will follow Jesus the rest of my days and I will pursue the righteousness of God in my community and my family and the rest of the world. Amen. If you pray
prayed that prayer online or in person, let us know through the now page and let us know that you made this decision. We want to walk with you. But now what we're going to do is we're going to spend just the end of our time together in prayer, asking God to speak to us in the midst of the world we find ourselves. When you hear us calling our Father, you hear us calling, you hear us calling our Father. Lord, have mercy, Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy, Christ, have mercy. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, both with humility and boldness. And we seek your presence as individuals, as a church, and as a nation. Like Moses, make us people who live Coram Deo in the presence of God. We come to you in humility because we recognize that as a nation, as a church, and as individuals, we have not kept you first. We have not honored you as you ought to be honored. We've lost the right sense of awe of who you are and placed everyone and everything above you. We've chosen government over God, culture over Christ, family and friends over faith. As the Puritans prayed, may we never forget that the heinousness of sin lies not so much in the nature of the sin committed, but in the greatness of the person we've sinned against, the sovereign and almighty God. Yes, we are humbled by our sins, but even more so, we are humbled by our Savior, Christ our Lord, who suffered and died so we can live. Christ, whose death brokered our access to God and restored our relationship with God. So therefore now we come with boldness, not on the merits of our own, but because of the finished work of Christ. We come to you boldly because you have both encouraged us and commanded us to do so. And what a great privilege it is that the eternal God of all creation, past, present, and future, would bid us to come close. The fact that the infinite and flawless God of heaven would gift himself to flawed and finite human beings is simultaneously a great mystery and a great miracle, one that has become all too common and familiar with us. So therefore, God, we ask, we ask, Lord, that you will sensitize us. You will sensitize this church, this nation, this world to be in reverence of the heights of your majesty and the depths of your love. Teach us, Lord. Teach our hearts to reject false gods, the false gods that we worship, the golden calf of sex, money, pride, drugs, fill in the blanks. Be it the donkey or the elephant, be it any idols or any false gods that we appear that appear as people, places, and preferences, teach us, Lord, to worship you and you alone. Teach us to worship the one true God and him alone. Teach us to long for your full and final reign and not to worship any counterfeit gods or governments in the interim, so that it may be said of us that we are your people and you alone are our God. Amen. Sing this together. You hear us calling. You hear us calling. You hear us calling. Holy Spirit. You hear us calling. You hear us calling. Holy Spirit. Lord, have mercy. 
Christ have mercy. God of all creation, may your spirit guide us and lead us into all truth, as well as comfort those in their distress. May we have the same attitude as Christ Jesus, and in humility consider others better than ourselves. We confess that we too often fall into the temptation of putting our hope in men. We've done it before this election. We will most likely do it again. For the sake of your son, Jesus, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us so that we may walk in your ways and into the fullness of life to the glory of your name. Guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus so that we continue to work for peace and see Jesus as our King and Provider and show us how to be peacemakers in a world of chaos. Help us look for the good that you are already doing so that we might jump in and partner in the work of redemption. You hear us calling, you hear us calling, Abba Father. You hear us calling, you hear us calling, Abba Father. Lord, have mercy, Christ have mercy. Lord, have mercy, Christ have mercy. mercy. Christ, have mercy. Remind us, Father, of our absolute reliance on your grace. Strip us of pride as we are overwhelmed with gratitude. You have saved us. You have given us the power to seek your justice So bind us together in Christ's sacrifice. Widen our eyes to what you are bringing to pass. Lift our eyes towards your throne and focus our hearts on your peace and joy. Father, heal the hearts who are hurting with your joy through the power of your Holy Spirit. Christ have mercy.